the story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes, when every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were, only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story, Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners. Out now. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers writers and creators tour nightfire publisher of dark stars new tales of darkest horror a novelette collection edited by john fd taff dark stars features 12 brand new stories showcasing today's top horror talent from award winners and new voices like stephen graham jones priya sharma usman t malik caroline kepnes and alma katsu Dark Stars is an homage to the classic horror anthology Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. All you have to do is sign up for Nightfire's monthly newsletter and follow them on social media. At Tor Nightfire on social and tornightfire.com. To Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are talking to the author of The Pussy Detective, Duvay Knox. And please tell me if I mispronounce your name, sir. Say hi. Yeah, it's almost like two syllables, Duvay. Duvay. That's like some smooth silk. I love it. And we are a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead. Um, Duvet, you have uh, a lot of different areas that you tackle, but um, I'm just going to ask a general question is uh, what got you into writing? You know what? For a long time, I was in stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? That's really why I came out of stand-up comedy where I was working with a lot of cats and 
I was always known kind of like as a uh, comedian's comedian, you know what I mean? Like other comedians would watch me get on stage because I was a writer, you know, they liked the jokes. Like Larry David. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? So I was always comfortable with that. You know, I did the comedy, but I've never really been like, I always say I wasn't a class clown, but I wrote for the class clown, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like how my shit was. And uh, but I did stand up comedy calls as a challenge myself. And then I had some progress, but I got out of that world because you know, world entertainment, man, is vicious, it's slimy. Club, you're dealing with club owners. I was on the road a whole lot, you know what I mean? And it's a tough world, you know what I mean? And I was like, I gotta get out of this. Uh I didn't really like it. I'm kind of a Kind of more kind of alone. I've, just give me some words to some place where I can write, and I'm happy. So finally, start thinking about in terms of a book. And people was always telling me about it. So gradually, over a period of time, after my love affair with, with comedy died out, I gradually slid on into the books. You know, start writing a few things a few years ago, and on Medium. That's why I started about 2016. Nothing spectacular, just some little flash fiction type of shit. And then I fell off of that. Uh, I was meeting with, with starting to censor things, you know what I mean? Mm. And when you've been in comedy, man, you know, you you around cats. I mean, you're around a bunch of comedians. I mean, it's, the gloves off. Everybody talking about everybody. Everything goes. Your mama, your daddy, he can be dead. Don't make no difference. That's so, <laughs> You know what I mean? So I had kind of had that unsensibility and I just decided to take it to the page. And I always had an idea for the, the pussy detective. You know what I mean? Hmm. Of sex on a lot of my act. I worked in a lot of rough nightclubs. So, you know, you got to get people's attention. Yeah. And uh, sex gets their attention. And then, you know, once I got their attention, I can move into other shit. But that's where the pussy detective came from. That just that I did a germ with that idea. Yeah, we'll definitely go into the Pussy Detective uh, in as much detail as you want without giving anything away. Um, but before we do that, Brent, I'm sure you have questions. I just want to mention to you that we've had a stand-up comedian before. Um, he doesn't write. He's not a he's not a novelist or anything. We had him on uh, two years ago. His name's Matt Light, uh, stand-up comedian out of Pittsburgh. He, yeah. he, he does stuff. I don't know if you know him, but he, he works with... Um, one of his friends is uh, what's his name, Lacey uh, from the Jackass Crew. Um, yeah. yeah, he's worked with some bigger names before, but he's he's really funny as hell. He's a shorter guy, but what got me into him was on Facebook, and he was just taking shots at uh, Patriots fans and it, anything that you can deem offensive, um, with the exception of being like, you know, racist or whatever he said and it was funny as hell and people that are my fellow path fans were getting mad and i'm like that makes it funnier um stand-up comedy is it's an interesting way to get into writing i can't say we've had anyone have that path before so brennan i'm gonna pass it off to you and, and see where you roll with it man yeah i do want to kind of take it back a little bit now i i had read that um Oh, I'm going to misremember the show, so I'm not even going to guess. But you you had a pretty major, you know, potential gig on your hands and you did end up walking away from kind of that um, that business because of, like you said, it was just skeevy. 
So, you know, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that kind of, I mean, it's got to be a dilemma. You, you've got this big opportunity in front of you and you decide to, you know, follow the path of ethics and not working with these, you know, assholes, basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, come, you know, comedians are kind of like always on, you know what I mean? It's like, and people would call me or they would say, you know, I didn't even know you was a comedian because my personality wasn't always on. I'm just kind of what naturally funny, you know what I mean? It's just not like an attempt, but when you're around that, when you are around that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's rough, you know? And when I was, I had a chance to uh, like the, the talent coordinator for Def Jam. He was like, okay, I really want to, you know, take you someplace. Uh, wow. My agent for a minute, well, you ever heard of Stephen Wright? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I can't tell you. The, the comedian Stephen Wright with the dry delivery? Yeah, the dry delivery. Yeah. In, uh, yep. the movie, Dave Chappelle, he was, you know. Mm-hmm. But I had his agent for a minute, right? Mm. And he saw me at a comedy club and I went to New York. I did a lot of the shit, man. It's just, I just saw it on it, man. It was just the things that you have to do and the things that people talk about you have to do. And, you know, uh, so even though I was right there, I was like, nah, that's, that's not that. I don't really like being in the clubs like this, you know, and the opportunities that people present to you. And a lot of the shit you hear about Hollywood is that, you know, the little parties you have to go to, you know, sometimes people don't, come right out and tell you, hey, look, you got to fuck a donkey, but come on, you know, you can be in the, you can be in the club, you know what I mean? If you got to just got to do this, just between us comedians or just, nah, man, I got a daughter. I don't want, I got children. I don't want my daughter seeing me, you know, doing something that she wouldn't be happy with or something like that. You know what I mean? So, plus I was older too. You know, I'm in my 60s. These cats, they were like 10 at a minimum to 15, 20 years younger than me. So I'm like, nah, I did all that, man. I don't <laughs> I don't need to do all that. If it, if that's what it takes, I don't need to do it. I can go over here and write a book and I can sit in my drawers all day, write a book, man, and, you know, put my jokes or whatever, spread them throughout the story. So I got close, but I just, I left it because I soured on it. I didn't, I didn't really want to get involved with people like that. I get that. You can't put a, you can't put a price on self-respect, no. you know, and if they're asking to take that from you, no, not worth it. That's admirable, man. And these people are, there's a lot of desperation, you know, in the entertainment world. You know what I mean? You would think so, too. And I'm, I'm definitely including myself in this because I know I'm insecure in many areas. But I think it's a lot about insecurities, man. That, yeah. the, and I'm not saying this flippantly or lightly. Uh, depression, uh, it's it's definitely a strong thing. And, and someone like Robin Williams is a huge example of that it's sad and there are fucking scumbags that see that uh and take advantage and that's man that that's really sad and i absolutely i'm a fan of you already man but like to hear that about your daughter being the kind of the anchor or the moral compass is just any parent that'll do that over like 15 minutes of fame has my love forever so that that's i don't know real, really where i'm taking this but that's amazing brennan um do you have anything else before uh i want to dive into the pussy detective do you have anything before yeah that? go for it. dive in sir 
So, so I've, I met uh, the two that run Clash Books at Scares at Care, uh, Lisa and uh, Christoph, and they are just, they are who they are online. And that, you can't say it about everyone, but they are very nice. Um, and I love what they're doing with their publishing company because it's, it's like if they ha- they have books, and, and I'll even dare to say yours is, is one of them that they could be a big five if they shape it in a way that is big five material. But it, I'm not saying that would make them better. It's just uh, I feel I feel like from a spectator's point of view that certain books in the big five will hesitate on taking risks on like the pussy detective or, or maybe manhunt or other books like that. Um, so I'm real curious to know when you started writing this, did you have any thoughts of, Hey, there's, there's a publisher for this. I don't know who it is, but I think it can be published. Audio listeners. Duvet is laying up a cigar, like a bad motherfucker. <laughs> Smoking, hey, this is a smoking room right here, goddammit. I like cigars. My dad, you know what, man? My dad, um, sorry to cut you off, man. My dad, he he really loves his Cubans. And me and my wife, for my 30th birthday, she took me on a cruise, and Havana, Cuba was the last stop. And I got my dad Cuban cigars, the type, supposedly the type that it might have been some bullshit that the the shopkeeper was feeding me might not have been, but they were Cuban cigars. They got my dad like four or five of them brought them to him in this handcrafted Cuban cigar holder. And he's like, Oh, that that's his thing. He loves those. And he's like, Oh, thanks. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like (laughs) Americans couldn't get it here for so long. They can't again. And I don't have any kind of reaction, but yeah, that's all to say that I do enjoy occasional cigars. Right. (laughs) Oh, We sing our buddies now. Nah, you should have told me that. I'm about to send you some, man. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know what? I have sent the Pussy Detective to Lisa and uh, Christoph. Yeah, I have sent it to him. And yeah, I really wasn't expecting to hear back from him, man, because, you know, I I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with the publishing game, really, high work or whatever. I just wrote the book. I knew about comedy. I knew how you uh, publicize yourself. You know what I mean? I kind of got that background, you know, and I've done, you know, I've done a lot of shit. Plus I had a, you know, a deep back. I used to be a sex worker, you know, I slung dick in Europe in my young ages, you know, for a long time over there. So a lot of that is in uh, the detective, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't know if it was too raw or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. The, uh, I wrote it uncensored. I said, well, I'm just going to send it out. And I think uh, I looked at Clash. I was just looking around for people who might accept it. And I came across Clash. And they said, they take, we take, you know, two or three months to get back to you. So I was like, well, that means they might never get back because I ain't got no patience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, but man, I sent it to her. She hit me back in like two or three days. Holy shit. Uh, she was like, Hey, we, we read this, you know, we want it. And I was like, okay, you got it. You got it, baby. What do I need to do? I'm not waiting on nobody else. The first come, first serve this motherfucker, right? Yeah. So she 
uh, took it, uh, made a few edits to it. We did that. We, you know, went back and forth a little bit on that. Certain things she wanted to take out. I wanted to keep, like, I wanted to call Daddy Who the Grab Daddy Dick. That's his original <laughs> But she thought it might be a little, little too gross. So, all right. So, you know, we went around about that for about five minutes. Mm. But, you know, I just cool. And uh, worked with him on the cover and got it out. So I'm just glad they took the chance on it, man. You know, anything that anybody has done for me on this, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for it because I'm a rookie to really the publishing world for you know, so I don't really know. Your first book comes out, and in my opinion, I'll speak for Brennan, this Clash books, we, we view, correct me if I'm wrong, but we view them as one of the one of the top tier, you know, uh, independent publishers, simply based on the fact of what they come out with constantly. Um, and they're always taking uh, smart risks with newer material. Um Lisa reached out to me. I mean, like I say this not braggadociously, but still surprised. She randomly messaged me. I think it's because of how much like uh, I think I messaged her a while ago and said how much I like your book. But she asked me a blurb and I was like a little kid, like, really? Me? There's not <laughs> someone behind me you're trying to ask? Man, I'm so happy it was this book because it's. It's one of those books where I could see, and I think you mentioned it on Twitter, but you can turn it into um, a case-by-case, case, a book-by-book book sort of deal. But right. we can we can go into that later if you want. But um, right. have you heard or read any responses of this book so far? Yeah, I mean, there have been some uh, good reviews, including one of yours, man. I love people who... Uh, get the book you know what i'm saying because it is you know it's black pulp fiction it's a lot of you know uh indigenous dialect that black folks talk about and use and whatever but there is a story there and people who get it that's cool you know you get what i'm saying because off the title alone you may think it's one thing but then you get to reading it and, and make you might be surprised because you know uh it's a little something else in there too. It's not just, it's not really a, a book totally about fucking. It's about the whole arena relationships and the whole nine yard women folks, and, you know? So I'm grateful that people take a chance on to go ahead and open it up and see what it do. Kind of reminded me in just this regard of like the raunch raunchy comedy on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's raunchy, but I can see it being, label as such but right. there's social comments are in there for sure and that's what any good story does um and you know what if you want if you are able to talk about it is there a future for other cases yeah well you know right now you know i spun that off the uh pussy detective rise again is is uh being written as a serial on Kindle So that's that's up, you know what I mean? So those are just little short episodes mm. uh, that I'm putting out there right now because I want to compile them at the end, I guess, and put them into another little short novella. And that will more or less be the sequel to Pussy Detective Rise Again. That's the tentative type. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty damn cool, man. Uh, yeah. Brennan, I don't want to hog all the air, man. 
Oh, you know what? I was just looking up. <clears throat> I was trying to remember when we talked to uh, Lisa and Kristoff, and it was uh, last April. And I remember when they came on, you know, I, they, it must have been right around the time that, you know, you inked that deal with them. And I remember Lisa, you know, especially just was so excited, said, we got this book. It's just so incredibly different than anything you've ever read before. It's just mind blowing. I can totally see why they got back to you in just a couple of days. Now, you talked a little bit about the editing, but I was so curious, you know, with the the such a specific dialect in there uh, and, you know, the choices in spelling and capitalization and all that, it would seem like, you know, the editing process, process would be really almost kind of strange because uh, your typical editor is not really going to touch that stuff. You said they, you know took some bigger sections and suggested, you know, moving them or ditching them. And then, you know, the name change, but as far as like the nitty gritty, what was the editing like? Yeah. She, she told me right off, you know, we really not going to touch the heart of the book. You know, uh, the only thing that I did that she really, the biggest change is she wanted me to rewrite the ending. Hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, once I write a book, I'm done. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to mess with. So I had to get over that hump. I was like, rah. You know, so I spit it out. I'm through. You know what I mean? It's like once a baby is born, it's done. It's born. You know what I mean? So I said, all right, all right. And uh, so we had we had about five minutes going back forth on that. And uh, she's like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I said, all right. So I <laughs> yeah. I rewrote the ending and. Uh, it, it was cool. Actually, I got to add something in there, twist it up a little bit more. So you know, yeah, it, it was good. But that's about the only little, little thing we had we had over the book, and uh, that was it, man. It was a wrap after that. And then I was like, "Look, y'all got it. I'm through." How long? That's did relatively it? painless. <laughs> relatively painless. You know what I mean? Because you know, uh, I don't count the days that it take me to write a book. I go by the hours. So Pussy Detective took me like 24 hours. O over, a over a period, maybe 10 days. Mm. What the fuck? <laughs> okay. I hate right. both of you. Both of you, your first books come out with publishers that I want to work with. And, and I'm over here almost 10 years in. And I'm like, oh, one day I'll get a book published. <laughs> you, you're taking too long. You got to knock it out in 10 days. Yeah. My first book would not have sold. Yeah. Not at all. No, I but did a lot of improv back in the day, so you get used to thinking on your, your feet. And then when you've been dealing with drunks for all the years, you know what I mean? You get used to having snap back, comebacks, thinking quick on your feet. So writing, writing it was easy for me. You know what I mean? It's, that's how I look at it. Just let it flow. And then... Once I spit it out, I might do what I call a tighten up. I'll just look through it and make sure things are like I want them to be. And then that's basically it, though. Hmm. What was your writing process like when you did stand-up comedy? I didn't write. I did all. I I was one of those cats to go on stage and just do it. Holy shit. I, I didn't have <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I've been thinking about shit all week that I want to talk about. You know what I mean? And the formation of a joke, the beginning of a joke may get come in my head or something like that. You know what I mean? And then I just go on stage and let it rip because I got that from, you know, Richard Pryor, Dick Gregory. They did a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? Robin Williams. And you're talking about the legends. Dolomite is my favorite comedian. That's why I really got that from Dolomite. Hmm. Really, really more. So 
I didn't really like practicing because it just seemed like it just took away from me when you practice and act. I'm like, you know, how can you practice what you're going to say to somebody? It's like, it's like a script. That's acting. That's not standard comedy to me. You know what I mean? Remember yeah. your line, right? And you got to hit your spot. So no. So when you come up like that, you know, uh, being on the corners talking, you know, I grew up joining, man. You know how it is. You grew up joining and talking about people. You got to, that shit got to pop. If it ain't there, then it ain't, you lose that day. You know what I mean? Yep. That's how it was. That's how I approached stand-up, stand-up comedy, too. Once the mic come on, anything goes. I was a teamster when I was in 18 to 20, and uh, I was working with truck drivers, and I was not, I was really one of the only kids there. Uh, yeah, you, you better, <laughs> you better either shut the hell up, and if you're going to talk, like you said, you better be real quick with it. Yeah, you better have some, man. I, I remember when I was in grade school, uh, they called it the playing the dozens then, but it's snapping and clapping now. And uh, whatever that little championship was, I had that. And I remember, I never will forget this guy, cat named Kenny, came from another school and uh, he whooped me that day. I had to go home in shame, but I came mm. back the next day and whooped him so I could maintain my title, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a funny looking cat. So if you were a funny looking cat, you got an advantage right away. Oh God, no. Yeah, that <laughs> should wear a hood or a mask. No. Uh, you know, the way you describe stand-up, it, it just reminds me of jazz, man. It's a it's playing the music in the moment. And yeah. if you practice a line a hundred times and then get up on stage and play it the way you practiced it, the audience is gonna, you know smell you out it's they're, they're gonna know it's a fake um that's i i love that idea of just kind of you know making yeah. the cliff notes in your mind and then just getting up there and you know using the uh momentum using the adrenaline to just let it happen that's fantastic yeah man give me give me charlie parker anytime man just you don't know where the note gonna where the note gonna go you know what i mean gonna be fast as hell though <laughs> yeah yeah, that's all right, real quick. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago when uh, you said they asked you to rewrite the ending a little bit. And, you know, it, it, not necessarily just for this book, but with your writing in general, do you find like, you know, once it's done, it's done. Is that because you already know the story and it's boring to revisit it or because it's just, it, it's formed a certain way in your mind and that's yours you know you don't want to mess with it you know what i think it's a combination of both you know it's 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 like once i write it and i may read it over once for that tighten up but then it's done because it seemed right to me <laughs> you know the big that you know it's, i'm saying it's like a joke once it's out your mouth it's out there see so I was just like, all right, okay, then, you know, let's, we'll rewrite it. I don't really believe in rewriting it. You know, you go back and look at it, you keep messing around with it. You can always find something you want to change, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't really get into that too much. I, you know, I'll read, like I said, I'll read it over. And if it, if it feels good, flows good, I'm like, all right, this, this will work. You know, I might try to catch a, uh, a misspelling. And I know this word coming from me because all my words are misspelled, but certain things, you know, 
I like them to like them to sound like I really talk. And of course, I'm really from New Orleans. So in Mississippi Delta, we live all over the South. So we say things a little different down there. East, but so do you plan on writing everything phonetically? Probably. You know, there's you know, this last book I put out, Spit Testament, is a little less done dialectically, you know. It's it's more it's a little bit more straightforward. Hmm. Yeah. So I wrote it, you know, I've written some short stories that were uh pretty standard English, I guess you could say. Wrote it in the second person called uh, Suitcase and a Cigarette. And it's the first short story that somebody uh published for me on after I came back to Twitter and that was Punk Noir, Stephen uh Stephen Gold over there. Uh, not familiar with him, but that's awesome, man. I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. What was that story about? Uh, about a relationship that went bad. I'd be interested to hear. Got a lot of them. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, find it, <laughs> post and tag you in on Twitter so you can see it. Sure. Uh, I wanted to bring up, I wanted to find my shirt, uh, my Biggie Small shirt, but uh, don't know where yeah. the hell that is. But yeah, you guys were talking about jazz. I know he, you know, you I know because you told me that he's your favorite artist. Yeah. And I'm curious if maybe subconsciously that he, there's there's an approach to the way that you write kind of like him, where he he's got like a certain way where he is like a jazz musician where he's hitting right. certain beats. And it just sounds so beautiful and sounds so natural, but yeah. not everyone can do it. I'm wondering if you approach writing like that at all. Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, big, big yeah. I thought about him a lot when I, when I was writing because he would just go into the booth and spit. Yep. You know what I mean? He didn't write his legs down, none of that. He just spit. So, you know, I kind of feel like the same way. And uh, it's not a knock on nobody else. It's just I just feel like I got to spit it out as it comes to me and then you know that's it it's done you know what i mean i don't want to mess with it a whole lot you know back in the 70s and 60s and whatever when they was putting a lot of books out a lot of times man you know books would have misspellings in them and all kind of shit. you know what i mean but they published it so i kind of feel like the same way as long as you can get pretty much what i'm talking about that's all that matters. And you can get the story. Good. I've read a lot of books where it's been misspellings and everything. It didn't really take away from the story. You know, that's some editor shit. To me, that's some editor shit. They're looking to dot the I's and cross the T's. I'm not even worried about that. So is that why you call your your press uh, Black Pulp Fiction Publishing House? Right. Because it's a throwback to the Black Exploitation era. That's a, That's really cool. And that's really, you know... For me, I'm a white suburban dude that the more people I talk to, the more I realize that um, I was privileged in a lot of ways. So the only way I'm someone like me is ever going to understand other walks of life is by books, talking with whomever. And um, I hearing that and you coming out with more books like that excites me. Um, plus, it's just, it's entertaining, man. That's what it should be. You know what I mean? It should be entertaining. And, you know, I have a short attention span. I top out, really, I top out at about 200 pages of a book. I mean, hmm. I, will, I will read 
a book that's longer, but as a rule, if a book is over 200 pages, it's going to have to be really good to get me to read. <laughs> I totally get that. That's why I write my books 100 pages or 150 or 70 pages or less. So like get in, get them out, because I don't know how much time you got. And once I get you, I want, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to have to be like taking, you know, three and four days to read the book. You know, if you can read this book, you can read any of my books in 90 minutes, that's about. Wow. Yeah. And I think those like sub 200 page books, like that's absolutely the way that like indie publishing seems to be going. Um, and I wonder if, you know, we're going to start seeing the more traditional major publishers follow suit a little bit, just kind of take a cue and see that, you know, this, these, these lengths, you know, people aren't feeling ripped off by getting a 150 page book. If it's a good story, um, that there's (laughs) hate to phrase it this way, but there's money to be made there. There's stories to be told that fit that length. And, you know, we've all read those uh, novels, you know, the, the 1980s always spring to mind, 70s and 80s, that it's like, this is 500 pages. And boy, did it ever not need to be. Uh, somebody told this author, make it 500 pages so that, you know, you can prop a, a fucking door open with it or whatever. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd love to see the the novella length thing just really get a whole lot more love on, you know, outside the indie scene too, because they're, they're great. They're fantastic, like self-contained stories. Yeah, I think the uh, the novel, the long novel, as a rule, I think the long novel is dead because, and it's not because it's not good, it's just that the world is different. You know, we now that we're in social media, everybody's reading short shit, the attention spans ain't that long, they want you to get to the point, and so you're writing for a different group of people. So that fits right into how I want to write my shit, is, is you know, get to the point, you know, I saw uh, one of my favorite people. Uh, I didn't get a chance to meet him, but he died. Was uh, the cat that used to own Tyrant Tyrant Books? And uh, one of the things he would say was, "Narrative is dead, plot is dead, all that." You know, the thing is, bring style back. You know what I mean? So people are worried about the plot and the narrative, and and then they forget the style. You know, what do you have to say? Are you interested? Because to me, a book is an extension of your personality, so to speak. You know what I mean? Mm. Can you hold somebody's attention? You know what I'm saying? And a lot of that, of course, has to do with the fact that uh, people's background understand that and the subject matter. But as a rule, can you hold somebody's attention? And don't take 500, 600, 400 pages to tell them. You know what I mean? Because... If I got to flip to the back end of the book, then that means you didn't hold me. So before you do that, I want to bang, 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 bang. You know what I mean? Keep you going. And then before you know it, you're at the end. 150 pages, 120 pages, you through. Take you 90 minutes, a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go to the movies. Movies are about two hours. So why should a book be four or five hours? Wow. You know Makes that? sense. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the heart of the argument is, you know, that's the way it should be, you know, uh, a compelling, you know, grab you by the balls narrative. Um, And when you, when you see the, um, you know, the argument that, that seems to be going around now is number one, you know, if you're, if you're a major publisher and you got to think of the bottom line, uh, number one, 
you got to charge 30 bucks for your, uh, your hardcover and you know, people don't want to pay 30 bucks for a book that's, you know, 120 pages. And beyond that, you got to think about like, um, the marketing and you, you know, you're putting your book on the shelf. If it's got this thin little spine, it's going to be less likely to get noticed. And those are, you know, valid reasons, I suppose, if you, if you are, you know, more of an accountant than a publisher, but it's just, it's soulless, you know, it's, it's, uh, it sucks that it is the truth. Right. That's, that's, that's big marketing for you, man. They, they, they are very, they are very slow to the game. You know, I sell my books on the street. I don't wait on publish. I go on the street and sell my books. And every time somebody gets one of my books, they, one of the first thing they say is, well, I like this. I can put it in my purse or I can put it in my pocket. You hmm. see what I'm saying? So you got to, to me, you got to create a book in which somebody can easily carry it around with them. And that feeds that feeds into the sale. That feeds into them thinking, okay, it ain't gonna take me no time to get through this. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, would you go and watch a movie that's five hours long in the theater? Uh, maybe, but not a lot of people. So, why you want to give them? Why do you want to make them spend all that time reading your work when you? Cause really, when you read, they just dragging the shit out. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> You know, the lineage books, man. And, you know, uh, no, no, no. What did the yeah. bitch do? I totally get it. Um, and just to be super clear, I love this guy as a reader. Uh, the Throat by Peter Straub. I'm not knocking it for its length, but I am repeating what he said. Uh, audio listeners, it's five. Ten. Shit, that might be like eight. And- you could open it and check. There's numbers on the pages now. Like 600 there. Yeah. It's almost 700 pages. Uh, it's yeah. pretty thick. But I'm bringing it up because he said that this came out in 93. Uh, his publisher said the sales is proportional to or the interest is proportional to the length of the book. And the, and his, his agent said that back in the 90s. Um, I just thought that was really... Uh, pertinent information to go along with what we're talking about because we're talking about one of the i mean 70s 80s 90s peter straw was one of the biggest horror authors in the world and this is what his agent's telling him like he's already sold enough books enough titles where at least i would figure he he could put anything out there and they buy it but um yeah I i think you're right i think social media has a lot to do with it the books were small. Books were smaller a lot more back. You remember in the sixties and seventies? That's when they had all the pocket books, them four by sevens. You know what I mean? Oh. Books now those were the books. In fact, they they used to have uh, a company still out there, pocket books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the whole point. They wanted you. Back then, they knew that uh, the smaller book was the was the seller. You know what I mean? Just mm. dime store novels and all of that. So that's why that's one of the other mission statements the Black Pulp Fiction Publishing House is to take it back to the smaller size of the books where people can put in their actually put them in their pocket and realize that it don't take they won't need a great investment of time to read. So mm. time, time is important to people right now. So that's how come I make them all my books are four by seven. Um class books they made it five by eight that was cool i wanted it to be four by seven that's the other thing 
but I didn't really worry him on that. But I like the four by seven or four by six old school size book that people can easily, you know, carry around. You got you got to love the mass market paperback. I mean, there's just there's no size quite like it, and I don't I don't know why we're not you know still doing that on a regular basis. You know, it's funny you mentioned you know you compared like a novella length book to a movie, and I I mean I feel like all three of us can probably agree that uh, in general people's attention spans are getting shorter, but you know than they were 20 years ago even. But if you think about it, like a lot of the movies now are even, you know, getting longer, you know, especially like those blockbuster tent poles, like they're almost all three hours long. Now you got that, um, uh, the, the, the justice league movie that they put out last year that came in at like four and a half hours or something like that. And it makes you wonder, like, it, do we just feel like we're not getting enough bang for our buck? Like who the hell wants to sit through a four and a half hour movie when, when you could pack it into 90 minutes, you know, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I saw I, I saw this movie, The Global, for 2021. Uh, the highest grossing film was the Spider-Man movie, $1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. But right behind that um, is this Korean, it's a Chinese-based movie about the Korean War in the Chinese army, uh, Chinese soldiers' point of view. Um, that came in at nine. Hundred and seven million dollars, and that was uh, just shy of three hours long. And my wife and I were watching it. I'm getting into it for research for a book that I know is going to take a while, right? But about the Korean War. But um, if I wasn't, I don't think I would have known about this movie. But I bring it up because my my wife and I were watching it, and um, we were watching it late, granted, but she clocked out about halfway through, and it's. It's a good movie. Yeah. But I don't know if I could do that a whole lot. Right. Right. It's 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 too long. You know, a lot of the uh, you know, I'm a student of special black exploitation movies, but you'll notice that in the in the sixties and the seventies, there were a lot of movies that were 89 minutes. You know what I mean? And that was for a reason. Movies were typically 89. That's how they used to make movies. Matter of fact, they used to be one of the things that they was real hard on. This movie can't be longer than 90 minutes. So you had a lot of movies in the 60s and 70s that was only 90 minutes. It wasn't until we started getting into the 80s that they started creeping up to two hours plus. You see what I'm saying? So they've gotten longer with the movies, but what you find out is when you watch them, a lot of it uh, is just somebody trying to launder money, I think, launder money or do something because the movie is not good. They could have finished that movie in 90 minutes. The, the plot takes too long, man. So a book can be really good, but I'm like, damn, you know, it's like uh, you're reading a book and it's about to kill out the wall. You're like, well, they go ahead and kill this bitch so I can get to the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> book, goddamn. <laughs> you know talking, I mean? talking about black exploitation films, like right off the bat, I mean, your character reminds me of Shaft. Is there even is there any uh, character that you can think of that that you created uh, the Pussy Detective that isn't kind of based off of the Shaft world? You know what? I I thought about I was thinking about black exploitation. Matter of fact, 
when we were doing the cover, that's Lisa was like, what do you want the cover to look like? The first thing on my mouth was black exploitation, baby. I want it to look like a movie poster. You know what I mean? That it whole definitely vibe. does. You dig? And yeah. uh, me and Joe, Joel worked together uh, on that cover and I found the picture. And then uh, he did, the, he did the, you know, he bumped it up, but I wanted it to have that look. And so, yeah, I was thinking about black exploitation all the way. Shelf, you know, even Luke Cage, who was like the first black exploitation comic book character. Yeah. I mean, Luke Cage, uh, Mr. Tibbs, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. So I was really thinking about that. Uh, even black James Bond, just that whole... You know, uh, what was the cat that wrote the bomb? Ian something? Uh, Fleming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ian Fleming. Fleming. yeah. I mean, he was that bomb. That first bomb book was like 160 pages. Man. Yeah. Think about it. All the I mean, some of my favorite classics. Uh, Great Gatsby is 50. That, no, wait. Oh, my God. I think it's only like 20, 25,000 words. Uh, yeah. It's short. I'm, Le- I'm Legend is... It's got to be there because that's only like 160 pages. The uh, what's the one, uh, Travis Bickle? Uh, what was that called? With Taxi uh, Driver, Taxi Driver. That's a damn good book, man. It's only about 140 pages, and everything that could be said, he said, it's like these cats out the six and sevens, man. It's like you know, it was when you were first coming out, it was a little harder because it's like these cats was writing to eat. So they would like, hey, get to the point. So, you know, I've been studying pulp fiction books, black and white, for a long time. It's like these cats know how to write. Get to the point, get to action, resolve the situation. Don't keep me reading for too long because they knew what would happen. People would put your book down. And if somebody put your book down, they might not pick the motherfucker back up. That's true. Especially so I today. I don't mm-hmm. want that. Once I get you in, I want you to keep reading until you finish it or get close to finish it. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like how I'm thinking. Yeah, so everyone, that's true. You know. Man, are you are you purposely making like sexual jokes some of the during some of this conversation? Because <laughs> I think I'm picking up. Oh uh, yeah, my fault. <laughs> no, it's funny. I just that don't. might just be your mind living in the gutter. It could be. I have a 12-year-old's <laughs> mind. That's true. I told you. You know what I used to do. So to me, writing a book is like making love. You get in it, you might not get a chance to get her back. You know what I'm saying? It's like, nah, that was some sorry dick. So you might not get a chance to get back in there. So I, once I get your attention, I really want to hold your attention. So every word, you know, that's why I use caps a lot because you read along, then boom, this word jumps out <laughs> or whatever, you know. So I'm just using different things to make sure you're uh, you're not reading a stayed page. It's a boring page. And me too. All the words look the same. It's a boring page to me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the shit that yeah, I was something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the shit I was talking about where there's a lot more to it. And you said it's an extension. The book's an extension of you. Um you're what you're creating is a lot more intelligent than if you just look at it, you might be like, oh, there are all typos. Well, that's, he just explained the right. why. And I think that's a really ingenious move. Yeah. I'm, you know, I just, I like, I write the books that I want to read. You know what I'm saying? 
And, yeah. you know, I've been reading since I was three, more or less, according to my mama. I started reading early because my mama was in the book club and she used to get all these books. And so I started reading real early, man. So I've read a lot of books, you know, I've read, you know what I'm saying? A wide range, Renaissance shit. Tristan Shandy is one of my favorite books by Lawrence Stern. And he wrote that way back in the day. And uh, it's a pick and rest novel where he goes to all these different adventures. Uh, of course, Casanova, his works. I like Casanova. He wrote a whole lot of good shit in his life. So I read a lot of Renaissance books just because of the style and how they was writing them and how they were spelling back then, too. You know, it's just I take a lot of influence from those Renaissance books and how they how they write. I mean, they're almost plotless, but they, they do have a plot. I I did not expect you to say that. Like, I'm just sitting here wondering what books your mom read and renaissance books is not i mean i have nothing against new books i write new books you guys write new books i love new books but i don't hear people talking about older books enough and you're talking about really you're talking about books from the victorian era yeah yeah 1700s man uh you know, Machiavelli wrote a good book uh, called Convivio. It's basically called The Breakfast. That's what it is. Man, that's a dope book. I mean, just the way he, just the language he used. And uh, in fact, the last book I wrote, Spit Testament, is a parody of that whole Renaissance thing. Wow. Yeah. Oh, shit, that's... Yeah. I, I got to say, there's probably not many people in the world that are going to do that. So that's pretty damn cool that someone is. Yeah, man. I'm I'm trying to mix it up, you know. What I mean, I just trying to write something that would interest people, uh, because I do realize that writing a book is entertainment. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So if people plunk down their money for it, you know, give them something that they're gonna remember, you know, from the first page to the last, you know. Absolutely, and I just want to comment on the cover of the Pussy Detective of the uh, magnifying glass with the eye. <laughs> it's just it's a double entendre. I love it, man. I think yeah, you, for video people, I think it's worth showing that off. There it is. Fantastic cover. A whisper and eye. It's a blue eyeball and a magnifying glass. Uh, if you are too young to understand it, go do your homework or some shit. Um, you know. I I just realized that like I'm pretty sure that I put for these episodes that's for everyone, and that's not true. Like yeah, you can, can record a disclaimer before it. Right. <laughs> I do that for right. over 140 episodes. That that won't be hard at all, Brennan. Nothing. Okay, so why don't you get the ball rolling, sir? Because I'm just blabbering on. <laughs> yeah, for, first of all, uh, Dubai, I got to tell you, I, I'm still thinking about your your metaphor for, you know, writing a, a book like having sex. That is way more poignant than it has any right to be. So well played there. Um, yeah. re- re- really good setup for that. Like you like you brought it prepared. Um, I guess one thing I'm wondering is when you kind of switched mediums, obviously, you know, whether it's through stand up comedy or writing books, it's all storytelling in the grand scheme of things. But when you switched mediums and you sat down to write a book, uh, you know, I've heard you say before, if you can speak, you can write. Was it imposing at all to try and write a book or 
you know, just you went for it and who cares? You, uh, my thing, my computer froze up. You said when I switched medium, what happened now? Okay. So what I said was, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's stand up comedy or, or, you know, writing a book, it's all storytelling. But when you, when you went to switch mediums, was it scary at all imposing to, you know, try, try doing it in a completely different way? No, I wouldn't, you know, because that's one thing I am grateful for, uh, stand up comedy. Once you been on stage and risk being booed and I have been booed many times the uh writing was nothing you know what I mean I didn't I didn't worry about it it's like I'm I'm kind of like that you know what I mean you like it you, you like it you like it you don't you don't so and I think a lot of it has to do with being older too you know at, at my age now I don't really I don't really trip on if somebody don't like something I did or they don't, you know what I'm saying? It's all right. You know, you, you, you move on, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. no problem. Cause everybody ain't going to like you no way. So it's no matter what you do. So writing a book was just like, okay, I'm gonna put it out there, see what to do. And I was always uh, of the mind that if I couldn't get it published, I'm gonna publish myself anyway. And nice. then once <laughs> I publish it, I know how to sell it because you know, I had I've had three bookstores in my life, so I know how to sell a book. I can go out on the street and sell my book. So I'm gonna sell a thousand books in a year anyway, regardless. See, so I'm not worried about the book making money. So I'm I don't I'm not beholden to publishers whether they indie or not. I'm gonna sell the book my damn self. So I'm not even worried about you. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and one other thing I said, I don't know if I cut out for it, but, you know, I've seen you offer it in different places, but the the wisdom that if you can speak, you can write. And I think, you know, so, somebody reading that without being familiar with your work is going to say, hey, that's, I like that. It's inspiring. But, you know, once, once they dive into your prose, once they dive into the way you tell a story in, you know, that literary form, um, it's it's just got such this echo of uh, not necessarily sitting around a campfire, but sitting around a bunch of bar stools and just trading stories. Um, And, you know, we've talked about it a bunch of times on this show, but that is such a pure method of storytelling and being able to capture that, uh, you know, in words on a computer screen, it deserves attention every time it's pulled off in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, kind of like the books to flow like that, like a conversation piece, you know. I know I'm country, but you know, I, I can write in so-called King's English if I want to, but that's boring to me. So, I mean, I used to be a copywriter. I wrote copy for TWA. I was with one of the largest uh, ad agencies in the country in the 90s. And uh, so I was writing copy for, you know, Southwestern Telephone Phone, the, the ads won awards, the whole nine yards. So I can, you know, I can do that. It's like I've been there, done that. But when it to me, but when it comes to writing a book, to me, that's like being on stage. It's like I want to entertain the audience. I want, I don't want them to get bored. I know what y'all are used to seeing, but I'm gonna give you something you ain't used to seeing and see if I can hold your attention. And if I can do that, then I mean I've, uh, you know, I've accomplished something. And if 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 I don't do that then, you know, you pass the book along or maybe you won't buy it or whatever. But, you know, there's just certain things I don't really worry about because, you know, I know I can sell the book myself. So 
I don't never worry about the sales of the book. So that's not a problem. I just want you to read the book to be entertained. So if you read the book to be entertained, you're looking for entertainment, then pick it up and see what it do. You know what I'm saying? Don't get hung up on what they taught you in school and all of that. That's awesome. And there's always going to be a market for, you know, people who are doing things that are different than what's on the, you know, I don't even know if they have spinners at drugs on drugstore racks anymore, but if they did, you know, whatever books are on those, if you're doing something different, somebody's going to be interested in reading it. Right. I hope so. That's good. Cause I'm going to put that book out in front of you. Some, some type of way, you know what I mean? Flea markets on the street, social media, whatever you might want to see something different, you know, and, and check out a, a different flow. Then yeah. I'm going to try to put something out there for you. So it sounds like you're pretty much just saying you're, you, you know, you hustle and yeah. I love the confidence that you have because uh, it's definitely not there for everyone. Um, and I think it's important to have that, especially because once, I mean, if you don't have any confidence here in social media, you can find yourself lost and giving a shit about strangers that could give two fucks about you real quick. Man. Man I like what James Elroy, he said something the other day about joining up in these writer community. More or less, he said, you got to watch that because you, otherwise you'd be around a bunch of losers. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I noticed that, you know, I know that a lot of, you know, a lot of writers, you know, they write the book or they, they, they put, they write their work and put it out there, but they don't really do much after that. You know what I mean? They don't like talk about it or, or tweet quotes from the book or, or whatever it is, or just remind people, Hey, my book is out there. I'm saying it's like, when you write a book, it's like you it's like you are approaching a customer just like you're approaching a woman. I see it all the same. So if you're boring when you approach a woman, she ain't gonna give you time of day, man. You better have something. You know what I mean? You better have some game, you better have yep. some conversation. You see what I'm saying? So when yeah. you open up the book, I gotta have some conversation for you. You see what I'm saying? So it's the same thing. You're trying to woo the customer into reading your book. So make that shit interesting. I feel like even though I have a kid, you're trying to train me how to have a kid with a woman. And I want to learn everything from you. About that. <laughs> you got to bury the stroke, baby. <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, I, I don't, I don't pay you to listen to that shit. Um, I, I haven't thought of it like that. Uh, I won't name who, but someone, someone uh, that's not a writer in the industry said that uh, writers are all, people with cats and um right they're all you know they're all nerds with cats is what they said and i was like yeah yeah you're pretty much right like i i think that's kind of true it's funny and if you're getting offended and listen to this you probably are a nerd with a cat <laughs> no, you you're doing good man you putting you you're doing just what a lot of writers don't do you're putting yourself out there with this podcast and letting people see your personality and it's like I heard somebody say they're not necessarily somebody is not necessarily buying the product. They're buying you. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you were born, then your product in the customer mind is going to be born. So 
give them something. You know, you get put a little personality behind your book. So when you write a book, put the book out there, you're holding it clear. You know what I mean? You, you ain't doing it. It's just a game. You just, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not really that I own like that. I only came back to Twitter because uh, Lisa them asked me to come back. I had been off Twitter. I don't really, I don't do Twitter. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't do IG because I got an email. And like I said, I know I can hustle my book, so I don't need to be on uh, Twitter to sell it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, that is a trap for, uh, I would think, some people thinking that that's the only place you can go because it's the world fucking wide web. Right, right. There's a lot of avenues. Um, I'm glad you brought up the, the podcast thing because that's literally the reason why I started this. Um, I started reading books uh, in 2013 is when I met my wife who got me back into reading and that's by that that's turned into me wanting to write. And um, long story short, I was reading just kind of those books that are, you know, there's a million of them out there about like helpful tips or what you should think about or, or however you want to word it about um, a writing career. And right. one thing that kept coming up is, you have to stand out from the crowd. Right. And you have to sell yourself. Even if you make it with a big five agents, publishers, they want to know how can you publish your, or, or publicize yourself. Um, right. I'm good at talking. One of the few things I'm really good at. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Man, you and, you and I could have a long conversation, just, just bullshitting all day. And I don't know if we get very far, but, It'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, you wouldn't get it. You're not bald. I'm sorry. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a couple more years. <laughs> he's, he's, he's gifted with uh, having his hair on his head still. I, I, I'm going to tell you something, man. You know, uh, one of the things that I think that writers and all performers have to remember is, is really not how many books you sell or how many people are in your audience. All you're writing that book for is one person. I mean, outside yourself is one person. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, it's that one person who will wind up being the gatekeeper or whatever and being your hype agent and saying, hey, look, you got to come check out Patrick. You got to check out Brandon. You got to, you know, just that one person. So that's what I think about. And a prime example is I did a show when I was doing stand-up. I did a show, and one of the producers, uh, Stu Smiley, he was at that time, he was a executive producer for HBO and all of that. Hmm. And uh, his brother got a hold of my tape, and he took the tape to his house, and he had the tape laying on his table. And uh, his, Stu Smiley came in and go, hey, you know, who's that? And he goes, oh, that's a comedian I came across. And he said, let me see it. And he put it in. That's how I got invited to HBO. You know, I hadn't sold no whole bunch of whole bunch of records or whatnot. And that taught me something very valuable is that just put your book out there and put a little hype behind it, whatever. And one person would come along. Because if I give the book to you, you know, I, I give away a lot of books, too. Because if you give away a book, you never know who that person knows. See, and they may have the book laying around their house. You see what I'm saying? So it's not so much all the time how many you sell. It's where that book winds up so that somebody can see 
somebody that's important or whatever that may have some gatekeeper influence will see the book. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. get that book out there any way you can. Pass them up. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up too. I I you can ask Brennan. I say it kind of frequently where you never know who's going to listen to this episode, who they know when they'll listen to it. It could be years from now. As long as YouTube's up, this will be up. And um, like uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, writers is Kevin Smith, Clerks and all that. Um, Clerks came out at a film festival in New York in the early 90s. One of that came out in 94, I think it was. And it was one of the last movies to play at the festival. Wasn't um, wasn't a big audience. It was only a few people. Didn't hear anything for a little while. Then he did. And then it started getting spread around because literally one guy named Bob Hawk, who was kind of like he was a he was a trusted source of uh, people that have influence in the writing world. I mean, um, film world, where if he says, hey, you should really look at this film. They'll look at that film. If that guy wasn't there, Bob Hawk wasn't there. None of us probably would know who Kevin Smith is. He'd probably be uh, just, you know, some average guy living in New Jersey. So it's one of many examples, man. Um, Giving away free books. Sure. The downside is, is you're not making money off of that. But it's like you said, you know, you never know who will have it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that that's that's the advertising. Remember, people get on social media, they do what? Uh, they advertise a book or they show their book. And but you show in the book, but you ain't got the book in the hands of a gatekeeper yet. Put the hmm. book in. You know what I mean? I look people up who, uh, you know, celebrities or whatever. And I send my books to celebrities all the time. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Just send it to them. You know what I mean? If they follow me on social media, if they got whatever, I just send them the book. You dig what I'm saying? So it's like, hey, that book can be out in the world doing something. And as far as I'm, the way I think, even if they throw the book away, it's going to go in the trash can and wind up in Africa. And then a little African kid can read the motherfucker, change his life around. Spit testament. Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The pussy detective. I must fuck. Holy trash, man. I love how I'm not going to do an accent. That'd be offensive. <laughs> even though even though we're having a good time talking, that's a bad look for me. No. No, it doesn't even matter what what accent. You could do Irish. It would be a bad look. It would be offensive to my people. <laughs> it would be a bad accent. It would be. All right. Hey, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Come on, do an accent for us. I'm not good at them. So Okay. Do you want to go into what are you reading? Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, Javay, what are you currently reading? Man. I read multiple books at one time, so I don't know. I'm reading. I read, uh, I just finished reading uh, uh, Felonious Monk by William Coswinkle. That was good. I finished uh, Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. That was out of the 60s and 70s. He was locked up for a long time. That's a cool title. Yeah, Blood in My Eye. uh, I'm reading Cleopatra Jones from the 60s and 70s. I read a lot of old old books from the 60s and 70s. Uh, 
So I'm currently reading a bunch of shit, man. It's that's just some of them. I'm reading some of the books of people that I follow on Twitter. Mm. I read uh uh finished uh Douglas Lumsden book. That was good. The Troll Walks into a Ball, Stephen Gold, yeah. I'll pray when I'm dying. Good good writers, people that I've met that's writing some different shit. So I'm all, I got I just read a wide range of shit. You know what I mean? Like I say, I'm always reading old shit from the, you know, even the 1300s with Dante and all of that. But I go back just to read them. You know, a lot of folks don't know he wrote a lot of shit besides Dante Inferno. That's to me as good as Dante's Inferno. I I don't know. I'm not familiar with his other work, but I hear a lot of things recycled on. Line and one of them is read diversely, and you are that's a great example of reading diversely. Um, because when I hear some people say read diversely, they're like kind of sticking in the same genre, and and that's fine, uh, if that's what you like. But I mean, how are you gonna ever know if if you can expand your own palette if you're not doing what you're doing? I mean, you know, them, you know, them free little libraries, you guys have them. Your way, yeah. Those free little libraries, like the mobiles. Um, yeah, they could be mobiles. We got it's uh just kind of like on the side of people's houses or front yards and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those. So I stop at as many as I like whenever I see them, and my son especially gets really excited, um, which makes it even better. But I I stopped at this one in my town and that I didn't see before. And uh, I'm just looking through it. I don't know these titles. I don't know the authors. One thing that sticks out for me, because I turned the book around, it's a the cover, it's a big mushroom. And uh, it's a fiction book. And it, it just, I forget the blurb. I just remember psychedelic. And I'm like, I'm there. I don't give a fuck what it is. One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories is Lewis Carroll's uh, Alice in Wonderland, because it's so fucked up. <laughs> right. Didn't he, didn't he write that Jabberwocky too? Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, like, that's a great example, man. Like, yeah, that shit doesn't make sense, but no, it don't. Like, it, Finnegan's Week, what's that about? I don't know. <laughs> By James Joyce. I was like, he, no, they tell me, oh, this is great. I said, no, that motherfucker was fucked up on Laudanum back in the day. <laughs> or opio, uh, opium. I almost said opium. Right. I meant opium. Yeah, but that's another good example. I went back and read one of the first books I ever read my, that my mama had, Harry Sundown. That's one of the first books I ever read that was in my mama's book club. It was about the interracial interracial relationship and all of that out of the 60s and what. It was controversial during the time it came out. Oh, I'm sure. Harry Sundown. Yeah. So, but she had a lot of books in uh, National Geographic and all that. You know what I mean? Is that kind of what, like the book club? Was that kind of like what she? Yeah, yeah. Remember, you ever heard of Columbia Book Club back in from back in the day? They used to, they said records, but they they had a book club though. Okay. Oh yeah, on the pages it would uh, um, I forget where in the book, but yeah, it would show like uh, you could order right members right. price and all that shit. Yeah, all that. Nice. Um. Have either one of you heard of the book called, uh, my dad gave me this to me, gave this book to me when I was a kid. It's called Black Like Me. It's um, John, yeah, John Howard Griffin. 
that came up because yeah. we're talking about 60s books that are yeah, yeah controversial. You got, you got the first edition of that, man. Nice. Yes. I collect books, so I sell a lot of them on eBay. And the terminology that they use, um, it's really interesting that what's not acceptable socially, I guess, um, mm-hmm. was like common terminology. It's really weird. Um, I mean, Stephen King kind of covers it when he, the drawing of the three, there's like different time periods, I right. think it was. And um, it's just fascinating. Uh, Brennan, what are you currently reading? I was just looking up. I've I've read at least two or three different uh, monk biographies, and I don't think I've read the one you're talking about. Um, I will I will throw at you. You ever want to read a really great biography of a jazz musician? One of my favorites is uh, Footprints about uh, Wayne Shorter. Um, yeah. It's by Michelle Mercer. Um, I was just kind of passing by that. I haven't read that in a few years, but I, I read a bunch of them when I was in college, especially. And I remember that one really sticking out as one of the better ones. Uh, yeah. And of course, he's a you know hell of a player with uh, yeah. um, uh, with Miles and stuff. Uh, I am reading. I just started this today. Colson Whitehead's new one, Harlem Shuffle. Yeah. I'm only a couple chapters into it, but it's 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 cool. I. Given the synopsis, you know, uh, the, my, my main guy in there, Ray Carney, is going to get himself into some crime shit. Uh, but right now we're just kind of getting to know him in his uh, his furniture shop. Um, and, you know, Colson Whitehead does a nice little deep dive. Let us get to know the guy uh, and almost kind of fall for that character before he uh, puts him into the shit, which is a little contrary to what we were talking about, you know, about just diving straight into the shit. But. I don't know, man. He makes it work, so I'll I'll yeah. <laughs> I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, cause Whitehead, you know, he's next level. He uh, they already talking about making that book into a movie. I heard. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they're not already. You know, it's out in bookstores, so they should have been. You know, making that six months ago with him. <laughs> um, uh, I'm also reading Grady Hendrix's The Final Girls Support Group. This one's actually really cool. I I love Grady Hendrix. It's always like kind of. It's it's just not cookie cutter. So, you know, no, it's about a group of people who are a group of women who were all stalked by like these infamous killers and they meet, you know, once a month or whatever to, uh, you know, just kind of rehash trauma, well, not rehash trauma, but like to get over their trauma. And I mean, they're all very clearly based on, you know, or at least their killers are based on, um, uh, you know, Michael Myers or Jason or Freddy Krueger or, uh, you know, the Scream franchise or something. Uh, and then, you know, they start getting picked off one by one. So it's, you know, like the the base of the plot is formulaic, bunch of women, you know, serial killer and stuff like that. But um, it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for that um, kind of the pop culture stuff that really kind of fuels a book like this. And nobody really does that like Grady Hendrix. Uh, how many pages? Throat, you, how many pages? Oh, see, these are both like you know three, four hundred page monsters. This one is about three fifty. Is it? <sighs> yep. Sorry, man. Outside your limits. Yeah, I know. Hey, you know what? <laughs> you, go in, you go in the bookstore and, and you read a synopsis of a book, and it's good. Yeah, I do a lot, you know, in the library, and I be like, you know what? I really want to read this book. I don't really necessarily want to skip no pages. You know what I'm saying? But I know they're going to drag me out 
for 300 pages. And I, I just can't do it, man. I can't do it. I want to do it, but I can't do it. Yeah. I, I mean, used to do that, but see, now I done got old. I ain't got no patience. I ain't got no patience. Now. So it was like, hey, what's the point? I, look, what, if you've been reading since you're three years old, you done read every fucking thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? All yeah. the novels, you know the novels, you know how they're going to start. You know how they mm-hmm. read the mystery. So everybody is writing the same fucking story. You know what I mean? And it's like the denouement or the end of the motherfucker is, hey, okay, and so we already know that. So shorten that shit down. <laughs> hey, they're they're both you know major releases, you know, out in hardcover. So I mean, it's it's that yeah. whole they they gotta justify those three hundred pages so they can charge thirty bucks for the uh, you know, the the hardcover price. You know, I'm picking up that whitehead right now. That's yeah. you know, like three ten twenty eight ninety five. They want for that yeah. book. Well, you know so. what? Well, he got a name now, so he can. His fans are that, and he and he can write that. But you know, I read a story by Victor Laval that was probably forty pages. Man, he, you know, he wrote this short Afro speculative fiction thing uh, dealing with outer space. Brilliant, man, just brilliant. Just about 40, 50, maybe sixty pages mm-hmm. on Kindle, and his other hardback books. You know, they are longer and whatever. But he did more in that frame than any of his other books. And I really think, even though there are still books out there that are 300 pages and whatnot, I really think the trend is shorter and people need to get on that. And as writers, I think we need to challenge ourselves to tell the story at least 200 pages, all right? That's two hours. Imagine somebody sitting down and reading your book. Can you get, can you finish, can you tell a story in two hours? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? I don't need to know what color the damn curtains are. Don't tell me what color the wallpaper is. Right. No, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. You know, I want to know what you said. Like me and you, we talking. Are we talking about the color of the walls right now? (laughs) That's a good point. No, it's a nice shade behind you, though. (laughs) You're right. It is nice shades on. You notice it. You see what I'm saying? But it's more it's yeah. more interesting for me to have a conversation with you when you write a book than it is to know what. I mean, you know, we have these writers, and this is just a philosophy, so I, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, as a writer, I look at books and I go, damn, Raymond Chandler already did this in hardball fiction, man. He told, <laughs> he told you all of this shit. Why are we still writing the same fucking book in hardball yep. fiction? Yeah. So who can you can't do it no better than Raymond Chandler? So why why would you go after that market? And if you do go after that market, you got to one up Raymond Chandler and come with something different. Good luck. His fans are still out there. So don't really try to uh, be more descriptive than Raymond Chandler. You can't do that shit. So to me, yeah. go to the next level. And I think that's one of the things like S.A. Crosby. I think he kind of did that with his books. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, he's on his own. They're a little yeah. Long. He, he kind of brought something different to the game the way he, you know, the way he shaped them up and did them. So it's like we've had all of these uh, ancestors who've gone on, these dead writers who've written these books and they've done all the descriptive shit and all of that. But here we are a hundred years later and the novel is still the fucking same. You know what I mean? So why would you mm. write that book? That's a great, I, I don't know. 
No, we've been we've been sitting on that one for a half an hour now. I don't think we're going to come up with an answer. Yeah. <laughs> Except fuck it, throw it out. Don't do it. <laughs> like I say, to me, it all goes back to women. You the same person she talked to last time. Why should she give you? You sound like every other motherfucker that came and tried to approach you. Nope. You know what I mean? So bring something different. Mm. So that people can be interested in what you're doing. It's not so, it's not so much uh that you had to get have to get rid of narrative and description but if you describe something or you narrate make it something so they can say oh okay yeah that's narration but that narration that he just did is different i can get mm. with that see i think that's what people are looking for so mm. i'm not saying trash all of the things that we know about description narrative and plot and all that but i'm saying you got to twist the motherfucker around or something so that people can feel like they've been on the ride and enjoy it. Don't forget you entertaining people. So make it the same. You know what I mean? So if 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 you're gonna write a vampire novel after Anne Rice, where can you go? You know what I mean? But well, I don't know. <laughs> give me something. <laughs> if you knew you'd be writing a vampire novel, right, Pat? Yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to come up with ideas, but the ones I have there come up, they have already been written. Mm. <laughs> right. So sit down and challenge yourself. And then to me, can you say, like, I could have made all the books longer, but I'm saying to me, it's like, can you, can you condense this? And a lot of that come out of comedy and a lot of it come out of advertising as a copyright where they teach you and show you, can you, what's the unique the USP? What's the unique selling point? That's yeah. what you got to get to. When you're dealing with the customer, what's the unique selling point? And don't take 400 pages to give me the USP. Let me bring it to me. And then after that, if you give me the unique selling point, then I can decide, make a decision what I'm going to go into the rest of the book. But if I make a decision to go through the rest of the book, everything you say after that better be banging. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, speaking of what I'm reading, uh, Nobody said that. <laughs> I can get away with that. <laughs> Shit, Pat. <laughs> I wanted to throw it out there because it's right. all about good writing. Um, I'm reading two Joe Lansdale books right now. I technically listened to one. They both happen liner books. Those are good. Um, I, I'm just going to leave it at this. Happen lettered. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's basically, yeah. it's basically a, well, for whoever's listening, it's basically just a, uh, buddy picture piece uh, a white and a black dude and i bring that up because it's it's talked about a lot throughout the books that i've read and you gotta remember that it was written in the 90s and he's tackling a black gay character that is unconventionally gay compared to like what media portrayed gay people to be back then and you got you got like a white uh how would he describe it? Not a redneck, but a, a redneck, rural guy, white rural Texan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd be wrong with redneck, but it's not like you know. know obviously, he's, <laughs> yeah. but they're 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 not your typical. They're not. It's not like a racist white guy or whatever. Mm. Um, it's got a lot of heart, but it's funny as hell. And the more that happened, Leonard, and I read, the more I'm finding Joe to be hilarious. Um, especially when we talk to him, the shit that comes out of his mouth, uh, it's, <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. Um, 
Have you read A Happy Letter? Yeah, the uh, the first one in the series I read because I got interested in the series. Hmm. First, I saw the series. Then I got well. I tell you what, actually, let me correct myself. I first got on the Joe Lansdale with Bubba Hotel. Yes, nice. yes. <laughs> because uh, Ozzy Davis was in the movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. I own it. I saw the DVD. So I, I read. I saw the movie. Then I read the book, and then that's how I got on the Joe Lansdale. Ozzy Davis did the eulogy for uh, for Martin Luther King. He's a yeah, yeah. And that guy, that guy's a legitimate badass. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I started reading about Ozzy Davis. I said, I like this cat. Him and his wife both, they were swingers, and they was open with that shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got friends that do unconventional stuff, and they're, you know, married, and they, they're cool with it. So I'm, I don't really give a fuck. They're two consented adults. <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> Not my business. <laughs> Hey, keep it like I say. Keep it interesting. You know what I'm saying. You can't yeah. keep it interesting. It is, keep <laughs> relationships, whatever you're doing, man. Keep 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 it interesting because people don't want to be bored. And you know, it, especially if you uh, are performing. That's how I look at writing. You are performing hmm. outside the page. If you see me walking around the house or whatever, I'm bored as hell. I'm walking around in my drawers. Ain't got no shirt on. I'm just chilling. You know what I mean? But every time I go outside the house, I want to look right and tight because I don't know who I might run into. That's something my daddy taught me. You know what I mean? That's smart. I always say that. When you go outside this house, boy, make sure you dress to kill because when they be looking good, whenever you're going to get your money or whenever you're going to get pussy, you got to be looking good. It's safe to say that you always look good, man, not kissing your ass, but you have a very <laughs> cool look to you. Just look good whenever you go so... You know, and if, if that way, if people like the book, I appreciate it. And, you know, maybe like enough to pass it along or something like that. I'd be happy. Yeah, it would make <laughs> it would make for a killer stocking gift for any little boy or girl or grown. <laughs> Definitely surprising. <laughs> the pussy detective. What's this one? Birds of the bees. <laughs> Let's talk about it. That is a yeah. good opener. Oh, little Timmy. <laughs> Um, how do I go from that? There's no segue from that. You don't. You're going to final thoughts. Let's just 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 jump. <laughs> Where can people follow you, Duvet? They can find me on uh, Twitter, Duvet Knox, Instagram, Duvet Knox. I got a sub stack out there too. They can follow me on there. And okay. I got three books out: uh, Pussy Detective, Soul Collector, and just recently. Spit Testament. They can they can get all the Black Pulp Fiction Publishing House. That's my website. They can go there and find, find me anytime. Excellent. And you know what? I just want to say, uh, writing books is probably the hardest art form to keep someone entertained. You got music, one song, movies. I mean, you're just sitting there and watching it. But reading, it kind of takes a little bit more concentration. Um. Next episode is 135. We will be talking with M.M. Schill. She's an editor. She uh, she has her hands in a, another podcast called Pseudopod. Um, we're going to jump to final thoughts, and then we'll say our goodbyes. So, Duvet, final thoughts, sir. I, I think I said it, man. I just, you know, uh, appreciate you having me on here. Uh, I'm glad, you, you know, you like the work enough to get me on here. And, 
I got to shout out Class Books for taking a chance on me. And Stephen J. Golds, I have to say the whole name, Stephen J. Gold for uh, taking a chance on me publishing my first short stories. And that's basically it, man. Anybody that supports me, you write Pulp Fiction, you know, I want to support you too. So I'm just that's glad you my mouth for those ski taste right here. <laughs> uh, Brennan, final thoughts, man. Uh, do Ed, we, we appreciate the hell out of your time. Um, but um, I'm actually going to use my final thoughts time to uh, ask you one more question, if that's cool. Um, are you frozen? <laughs> okay, that wasn't the question. But, uh, you know, we've done 134 episodes. Uh, and it's so rare that, you know, we get somebody on here who I can uh, talk jazz with. So I was I was kind of hoping you'd throw an album recommendation to me and anybody listening who's interested. I know you heard of um name escaped me, but uh help me out. After Charlie Parker you had uh Don well, Donald Bird is one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Donald Bird. And definitely check out his uh uh Crystal Redemptor. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but check that out, man. Check and also Charlie Mingus. He he Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, but read his read his book. You talked about that book, girl. Read Charles. Yeah, Mingus. that's a fucking wild book, man. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay, so yeah, that's what I would recommend to you, man. Yeah. The uh, you know, the the jazz musician biographies that are, you know, self-penned, uh yeah. they're hit or miss, but uh Mingus's biography, that's that's a fucking wild ride. You will not regret picking that one up. No, no, you definitely won't, man. And uh that's the one to read and read about it. I think his name is Beatty. Uh, I know all these cats, but right off the tip, they just left me. But, you know, he's the one that basically created jazz down in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. But they got an HBO special, on matter of fact, right now on uh, Netflix. Nice. Yeah, I'll send that to you. But he's definitely somebody you should read. It's a damn good movie about him, man. So I ain't going to spoil it for you, but I'll send that to you. Yeah, I'm into that. I'm in. That's right up your alley. Um, Brennan, any more final thoughts? Nope. Minor, thank you for your time, man. Uh, It was a real pleasure talking to you. There's a lot of insightful things that you said. So I hope that uh, there is that one listener out there taking a – Stealing kind of what you said about the one reader, one listener out there that can take some of these uh, thoughts and roll with it and then pass it along. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah. Both. We'd love to have you back sometime and um, just genuinely enjoyed talking with you, man. It's been a real mm-hmm. pleasure. Um, yeah, don't cut, don't cut shit, man. Let it run. You ain't gonna cut. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a 10 hour episode. Hey, do what you do. <laughs> uh, so the Pussy Detective, that is out right now. You can buy that uh, on the streets from Duvet, or you could buy that from Clash Books or wherever books are sold online or, you know, uh, wherever Duvet is, I, I assume, or somewhere in Africa, <laughs> right? It just might show up. Come on to Black Paul Fiction Publishing House if you can't get it there. So I'll be there. I'll send you autograph copy. And I am interested to see where uh, your press goes, man. So, um, again, thank you for everything, Brennan. Thank you, as always, for being my co-host listeners. Thank you for joining us tonight. 
or today or tomorrow this morning wherever time whatever time it is uh god damn i can't talk right now uh listeners you have many choices in podcasts thank you for picking up